Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Good morning. It's Monday, October 19th. You're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. I'm joined right now by Chris Hummer, college football writer for 24-7 Sports. It's Sunday afternoon. We're recapping yesterday's action, week seven's action, as we tend to do on Sundays and getting it right to you for Monday morning. Uh, Chris, it seemed like we were going to have two really classic football games last night uh, at some point in the, in the second half of both blocks. Alabama and Georgia was close. North Carolina was making a furious comeback against Florida State. Both games kind of fizzled out at the same time. Uh, North Carolina could not convert a fourth down. Sam Howell was plagued by drops by his receivers. And then Georgia sort of crumbled. And I just, it was such a great night of football. It was, it was, it was really, really rewarding to watch these games. And then they kind of just fell apart at the last second. And I was sort of left with the sense of like, all right, like Bama, is just tremendous. Georgia ran out of steam, and and you know we'll talk about North Carolina in a second too. But it was just, it, I was I had such high expectations for that fourth quarter of Georgia Alabama, and then it was like Mac Jones, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith. Georgia just couldn't keep up. Yeah, that's honestly that's that's what it felt like. And I feel like these games, these like really highly ranked games, we think usually come down to the line of scrimmage, the offensive line that's playing the best. Can the defense get pressure consistently? Like who's winning up front, establish a run game. But I think the last couple of years, we've kind of seen a new formula in college football. These elite teams, your Georgias, your Alabamas, your Clemsons, your Ohio States recruit at such a high level that their depth is so even. I just kind of feel like at some point, these games come down to who can make plays on the outside. And if you have a quarterback that can deliver the ball and push the ball vertically downfield. On Saturday night, Mac Jones averaged 13 yards an attempt. Uh, Najee Harris was good as a running back, but Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle really made the difference in the game. Devontae Smith had 167 yards. Jalen Waddle had 161. They combined for three touchdowns. They were pretty much unguardable the entire night against a secondary that has at least three early round NFL draft picks. It didn't matter. Those two dominated. On the other side of the ball, we had Stetson Bennett. And Stetson Bennett's an incredible story. I don't want to slight the guy, but at times last night, he just missed throws that you need your quarterback to make in those situations. He missed Jermaine Burden, one of the fastest players in college football, on a kind of a deep pass that would have been a touchdown that would have brought the game with into a one possession. At the end, um, he finished only 18 of 40. He threw three interceptions. And Stetson's Bennett, Stetson Bennett's inability to kind of push Georgia over the top there was the difference in this game. And I think it's just another example of why great quarterback play and why great receiver play matters so much in college football right now. Yeah, Stetson's yards per attempt was 6.7. He he managed the game pretty well in the first half, and then when he was asked to make plays, and look, like Georgia, there were some drops. There was a really bad call uh, on a pass interference. Um, An awful call, yeah. Awful call, and, and the, the series before that, Georgia probably would have loved uh, a call of its own on, on what might have been a hold on, I believe, George Pickens. But like, it, it, I think it's clear 
and I'm glad you mentioned how incredible of a story Stetson Bennett is because it's really cool. Like this, this kid who grew up rooting for Georgia gets to beat Auburn, gets to beat Tennessee. But I think it's clear they're going to have to make a change. I also think it's clear something must be wrong with JT Daniels. He must have had some sort of setback in his recovery from an ACL injury because they they need JT Daniels or they need a more dangerous passing attack, whichever one, and maybe Dewan Mathis. They they need that to make the playoff because to make the playoff they're going to have to beat Alabama in Atlanta. I think I think Georgia looks like the best team in the SEC East. That game against Florida will be interesting. Sure, they might trip up. They tripped up last year to South Carolina, but this this team this team is pretty good. This defense it hung in there for three quarters. It just ran out of steam. But 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 they need something more dynamic if they're going to have any chance of, of going toe to toe with Alabama in a few months. Because as you said, like. You can only you can only contain Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith for so long. Like you, Jalen Waddle going for ninety on Tyson Campbell, like that's yeah. Uh, Tyson Tyson slipped a little bit, but I think that's pretty emblematic of the game. Tyson Campbell's a potential first round pick. He's played really well this season, and he just simply got beat by Jalen Waddle, who's a little bit better, and that just uh, made the difference all night. And same thing with Devontae Smith. He was just an assassin, like. Long, short, kind of over the middle on the outside. Devontae Smith made plays over a guy like Eric Stokes, who's one of the best corners in college football. And that's why Alabama won. And on the Stetson Bennett point real quick, I feel like college football has just transitioned the last few years to the point where a Stetson Bennett, as cool of a story as it is, isn't capable of leading his team to a championship that he might have been in maybe 2005, 2006 when the SEC played a more spotting, defensive-heavy style of football. I feel like if you stick Stetson Bennett in, like, 2007, 2008, Georgia has a shot. But, like, we're not in 2007, 2008 anymore. The game has evolved. The game is played in space more frequently. The game is so dependent on quarterbacks who can make um, plays happen with their arm. They can throw guys open. They can put the ball in the correct spots to stretch the field. Stetson just doesn't do that consistently enough. And as you said, Georgia really needs help at quarterback, which is – which is kind of ironic given the way they've uh, recruited the last few years, but um, here we are. Yeah, I, when George, when Kirby Smart was plotting out his quarterback room for 2020 a few years ago, Justin Fields was supposed to be the starter. Then they had all those options earlier this year, and and now they're left with Stetson. And, it, uh, and go it, ahead. And if we put Justin Fields on this team, I think Georgia's the best team in football. Like, Probably, I don't, yeah. I don't think yeah. there's much question with no, that defense. Right. No question. Did Mac Jones jump into the Heisman mix here? Um, like, and he was already in the top five, but is it, is it Trevor Lawrence and Mac Jones right now? And then Justin Fields will join them in a week. Yeah. I, I think it's just Trevor Lawrence and Mac Jones, uh, maybe Zach Wilson from BYU, but he's not going to carry nearly the same weight as Mac Jones will. If Alabama runs the table, beats Georgia again in the sec championship game. I mean, who knows? Like, I think T laws kind of got the narrative kind of on his side. Uh, he'll have plenty of stats, even though he keeps getting pulled at halftime. Like T-Law has just had an excellent college football career, and I think he's probably going to end up being rewarded. But Mac Jones was every bit as good as Trevor. Well, maybe not every bit as good. <laughs> Mac Jones was excellent on Saturday night against what we consider to be college football's best defense. He couldn't have done anything more. And if he's doing that against Georgia, you just kind of project out his season. He's going to throw for a ton of yards. Like he's been really consistent. He's been accurate. He doesn't throw a lot of interceptions. He's going to be right there in the conversation. Yeah, Trevor Lawrence in in one half essentially was uh, 404 yards, five touchdowns, some some stupid good throws. He keeps stacking up game of his career, game of his career uh, upon each yeah. other. That'll be Tre- really interesting. Trevor to watch. was Trevor was stupid good on Saturday. I don't know how much we're going to dive into that, but he was unbelievable. I mean, they 
they they could have scored 100 points. He could have thrown for 10 touchdowns if they wanted to. Clemson got to a point where they were playing their punter at quarterback. Um, Will Spires and Jeff Collins kind of acted like he thought they ran the score up. But it... I mean, when like, you've got a walk-on two freshman quarterback throwing for two touchdowns on you, that's on Georgia Tech to stop them at that point. Like, yeah. Uyangala like, didn't even play. It was 73-7. to seven. It could have been a lot worse. That's probably, I think, all the time we're going to spend on Clemson... Well, not really. Like, well, I don't want to spend any time on that game, but I, th- I think some takeaways from Saturday. Like, we've got Alabama; they're a championship contender. Their their defense wasn't great, had some moments, but they also made some plays. They were opportunistic. The pass rush still needs to get home. Will Anderson, I, I think, showed some signs of of getting closer and closer there. I think everyone. He also, still- he also looked like a true freshman at times with some really bad run fits and stuff like that. But yeah. Will Anderson's a difference maker as, as a pass rusher, potentially. I think they're still waiting on Dylan Moses to to have the, the game he, he's been waiting to have. But So we got Alabama as one contender, Clemson as another. We've already established that Georgia, if they get a quarterback, and this is crazy, like it's October 19th, but if Georgia gets a quarterback, <laughs> they could beat Alabama in a few months. So we've got those three. Um, we've got Ohio State. I think that might be it. Like yeah, you, that, you wrote about, you wrote about Notre Dame in overtime, twelve to seven win over Louisville. Just a really concerning offensive attack. We talked about Stetson Bennett. Like that might work in 06 or whenever. Like Notre Dame might have worked in the eighties. But the, 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 we've we've seen enough from Notre Dame in the last few years. We saw them in, uh, against Clemson in the playoff. Like we've seen them in some big games fail. They haven't changed anything. And in fact, I would argue they've taken some steps back offensively and just gone to a total ground and pound and, and Louisville's not any good uh, to, to win 12 to seven at home. I thought was pretty concerning and it's going to be interesting for, for Notre Dame in November. They got Clemson on the seventh. They got North Carolina on the 27th. Yeah, I don't know if this team's going to be as good as we thought they might be. Yeah. I think the really concerning part about Notre Dame is like they put the ball in the red zone a lot on Saturday against Louisville, which is a pretty bad defense. They just couldn't finish. And if you make the conscientious choice to be a round and pound offensive line first football team, which is fine. Notre Dame's offensive line is as good as theirs in the country. They have a really deep stable of running backs. We've got a solid quarterback in Ian Book. It makes sense to go that direction. But if you're going to shorten games like that, you have to take advantage of your opportunities in the red zone. And Notre Dame, I believe coming into the week was something like 56 nationally in red zone efficiency out of 78 teams. That's not going to get it done against the elite programs in the country. And as good as that defense is and as good as that offensive line is, like they're just they don't seem explosive enough, as we talked about with Georgia and Stetson Bennett earlier, to keep up with Clemson, to keep up with Alabama, to keep up with Ohio State with Justin Fields kind of slinging it around the field. Like they're an excellent team and Brian Kelly's done a great job there. Uh, I know a lot of criticism is levied at him, but I think that offense is going to have to open up a little bit for Notre Dame to really have a shot at this like Tommy Reese. Like, and I'm sure part of this is Brian Kelly's thing too. They just call a really conservative game plan on purpose to fit their personnel. But in these big games, like Clemson's going to take the top off on them once or twice and Notre Dame's going to have to play catch up at some point. And I just, I'm not convinced Notre Dame has that ability to do so. Great stat by you in overtime. Notre Dame reached the red zone on four of its first five drives, had six total points on that. I mean, great, great point. If if you're going to play that style, you got to, you got to bat a thousand when you get to the red zone. Essentially, yeah, you got you you gotta you gotta make your three foot putts, as they say in uh, golf. Like you have to take advantage of your opportunities. 
and Notre Dame just isn't doing that consistently enough. And part of that's the fact Notre Dame runs so much and they do so, so effectively, but when the field gets shortened in the red zone, like Ian book is going to have to make a couple plays for you, be it through the play action or what have you. And when the field shortens and defenses tighten up, like the field just gets so much smaller and Notre Dame just hasn't been able to run the balls efficiently. And they don't really have difference makers at receiver to kind of win one-on-ones either. They rely on their tight end so much. There's so many three tight end sets on Saturday. And when you have those issues kind of stack up near the red zone, like you're just, it's going to be a problem. And I just, as currently constructed, I really have a hard time seeing Notre Dame keeping up with Clemson when that uh, kind of marquee matchup happens in a couple of weeks. Maybe there's someone out West who, who joins the, the we're championship worthy conversation. Maybe Georgia gets a quarterback. I think right now, if you have them in your top four, it's with an asterisk. Uh, it is, it is going to be, we did this last year, the, the race to be number one in the playoff rankings rather than number two will be great because I don't know if the fourth team is going to be very good, Chris. Um, but two and three, that semifinal, as it was as it was last year between Clemson and Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl, will be just murderous. Be, if Clemson and Alabama both run the table, it'll be really interesting because Clemson mm-hmm. will have beaten Miami. They will have beaten Notre Dame, maybe North Carolina, all top 15 teams. Alabama is in a weaker SEC this year, but it will have had to beat Georgia twice. I would imagine Alabama gets that nod. But as you said, like, can you imagine Clemson and Ohio State having to play in the semifinal again this year? That's oh a brutal gosh. draw. Yeah, no, I, and we had so much time to talk about that, but it, it will be that that'll be a resume versus eye test thing, I think, because if you like, you look at Alabama, and you're like, okay, the defense, if that defense doesn't improve, I, Alabama's got LSU in a few weeks. That, that could be a shootout. Um, so we'll see. The College Football Daily will be right back. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I want to move on to, to a few teams feeling better and worse, and, and then we'll kind of we'll try to wrap this up. So Arkansas didn't win an SEC game under Chad Morris. Now they have two under Sam Pittman. Uh, they beat Ole Miss 33-21. to They picked off Matt Corral six times. And Arkansas really should be 3-1 and one because they got robbed against Auburn last week. I, I, think Chad, uh, I think Sam Pittman's making a run at head coach of the year. I think Barry Odom is definitely making a run at defensive coordinator of the year. He could be on a on a coaching candidates list for a DC at a premier job, like in Alabama or somewhere, or even I mean, a head coach at a five school. 
I was gonna say he wasn't even that bad at Missouri. Like there was an argument to keep him last year, but um, yeah, he's showing he's showing he's got uh, Arkansas this year for sure. Yeah, so so Arkansas is feeling good. South Carolina every year it feels like under Will Muschamp they beat someone they're not supposed to. You maybe had a feeling going into this game it was going to be the, that they would beat Auburn. Auburn just is not playing well. Yeah, they're not very good. I'm, Auburn's just not. But Auburn's not very yeah. good right now. Auburn's not very good. So Will They're Muschamp, yeah, Will Muschamp, it, it is interesting. Like we went into the game talking about Will Muschamp and his buyout, which was released this week, fifteen million. You beat Auburn, you, I think that's enough. Like I like what Mike Bobo is doing. They're controlling the game. I like what the defense does. Uh, JC Horn just played great uh, matchup against Seth Williams for most of the afternoon. On the flip side, Auburn, Bo Nix doesn't look good. Chad Morris as the new offensive coordinator has not done a good job. The Tigers have zero identity on offense, and Gus Malzahn now becomes sort of a hot seat coach. And that sounds preposterous because his buyout's like $24 million. I don't think that's going to happen, but on the Auburn message board uh, at 24-7 Sports, like the, the fans are starting to to get that conversation going again. And it's, it's every year that Gus Malzahn beats Alabama. He kind of gets an extension, and then a few months later, they, they, they regret doing it. But it's hard to see a path forward for this team in 2020. Yeah, really, first of all, really tough look for Chad Boris. Uh, we just talked about Arkansas and the success Sam Pittman's having right away. And then when you think about it, Will Muschamp hires Mike Bobo. Mike Bobo, kind of a Colorado State coach who got fired, just like Chad Morris got fired from Arkansas. And Mike Bobo's done an amazing job with that offense and those looks that they kind of give Colin Hill through that run game. Like, I thought that that offense looks great. And then when you look at Auburn, it's just kind of a mess. I feel like Auburn has two plays right now, and this is oversimplifying it considerably. It's either, hey, we're going to run the ball and we're going to get it to Tank Bixby, who's been excellent, like no question, or we're going to chuck it up to Seth Williams and hope he can make a play. Because, And that didn't work on Saturday because J.C. Horn did an excellent job against Seth Williams for most of the day. And Bo Nix is just so inconsistent. Like he cost, he just simply cost Auburn that game. And I... Bo Nix is going to get better at some point, you would think. We had him as a five-star passer at 24-7 sports. There's a lot of tools you like, but he's just bafflingly inconsistent at times, and it's really cost Auburn a couple games the last few seasons, and right now that defense is not good enough to make up for Bo Nix like it was a season ago. He kind of reminds me of the Sam Ellinger of the SEC. He he got a little hot in the fourth quarter, making some plays with his legs, and you were like, okay, it's clutch time. It's, it's Bo Nix time, but he has limitations – I think that are pretty clear in the first half of football games and, and maybe the first three quarters that that concern you as someone who you're supposed to be building around. So I think I, I think that's going to be really, really tricky the next few years to watch how I mean, Auburn's put its eggs in Bo Nix basket like Joey Gatewood transferred. They they don't have much quarterback depth. They have Grant Lloyd from Bowling Green. I remember you writing about him uh, this offseason. It's kind of like a change of pace guy, but I don't think he's a starting quarterback. They haven't really yeah. recruited the position well either. Like this is this is this is Bo Nix's team for better or for worse for the next two years. Yeah, no doubt. And Grant Lloyd was supposed to be their uh, Taysom Hill. He wasn't supposed to be Drew Brees and Taysom Hill at the same time. That was Bo Nix. And yeah, they're kind of stuck. And they're Auburn's not even recruiting that well in 2021. Like to be perfectly honest. So it's it's been a really rough couple months. Uh, for Gus Malzahn, especially when you consider what's going on in his state. Alabama just keeps on rolling. And I realize Alabama is going to be a juggernaut forever while Nick Saban's there. But Auburn just kind of seems to be losing a little bit of ground to the rest of the SEC as well. Like a couple a couple of years ago, Auburn was the second best team in the SEC West. 
Uh, and I realize how bad LSU is struggling right now, but LSU is probably better right now. Ooh. Texas A&M is probably better right now. Yeah. Like Auburn's the fourth best team in the league and Ole Miss and teams like it are kind of coming up pretty hot despite Ole Miss's struggles on Saturday. So tough, we're going to be tough go for Auburn. We're going to be having an A&M playoff resume talk here in, in the next few weeks. Uh, all right. North Carolina, number five team in the country, 28 points. Florida State, 31. This thing was 31 to seven at halftime. North Carolina pitched a shutout in the second half. Sam Howell got so close. I felt for him. I felt for Javante Williams dropped at fourth down pass. Um, I, I, it's it's hard to watch like college kids mess up like that um, and, and cost your team a chance. They'll have you know they're, they're not dead yet. They they don't play Clemson in the regular season. If they beat Notre Dame, they can make the the ACC title game. But I think this this honestly, I think the story of this game was was what Florida State was able to do behind quarterback Jordan Travis and and the players clearly are starting to buy into Mike Norvell. They're two and three now and. Feels like a long time ago they were behind FCS Jacksonville State at halftime and, and staring, you know, staring a zero and four in the face. So so kudos to them and maybe this can be a turning point for the Seminoles. I saw people on their message boards were saying this is maybe the biggest win by the program since uh, the BCS championship in 2013 oh, when they beat Auburn. Oh Jesus, that's so I know sad. It, it was either that or an Orange Bowl win against Michigan in 2016. So they're really really excited about this one in Tallahassee. Yeah, I don't blame them. Um, a win like this for a program in desperate need of hope is so important. Um, a win like this not only kind of inspires the locker room, gives you real belief in a guy, Mike Norvell, who's had a really rocky start to his tenure, but it also makes you relevant again in recruiting. Uh, Miami and Florida were smoking in Florida State early on the recruiting trail, thanks to a hot start from Miami. Florida kind of on the rise with Dan Mullen. Uh, Florida State ranks just 23rd nationally in 2021. Um, they've lost a couple of really important commitments over the last month or two. And a win like this allows Mike Norvell to, I guess, not go in people's living rooms, but at least via Zoom to talk to kids and show, like, this is what the future of Florida State football is. And it's just, it's so critical for the Seminoles moving forward. They still might end up finishing four and six this season, but like they can lean on this North Carolina victory as a building block. And that's so critical for a first year staff. So great for Mike Norvell. Um, they still have quarterback issues. Like I don't think Jordan Travis is the guy long-term. Um, they're still really inconsistent at times. They still didn't score a point in the second half, but um, this is something that they can build upon for sure. Yeah. I guess if I'm a fan of theirs, I'm a little bit cautious about, trumpeting this is the best win in seven years because like we've seen so many teams so many programs that we want to be back have these wins like texas notre dame texas or, is back folks yeah like te- like and and as we move into like teams feeling worse tennessee is the same kind of thing like we we thought tennessee a few weeks ago was was definitely on its way back and they get just blasted by kentucky 34 to 7 jared Gorantano through two pick sixes he's he might not be the starter next week against Alabama. Like they might throw true freshman Harrison Bailey into the mix. And we talk about Bo Nix. Like that's your quarterback. Like we talk about Florida state. You got some QB issues, although they'll get Chubba Purdy, the the true freshman, I I believe next week back from an injury, but Tennessee not back. And the problems are getting a little bit, a little bit serious in, in Knoxville because this offense just doesn't have, doesn't have the juice. And it, it's very possible that Georgia sort of shattered any of their confidence that they had. Yeah. Jerry Garantano had more um, 
passing yards and pick sixes, 126. He threw two of those on Saturday. Then he did actual passing yards, 88 uh, against Kentucky. So that, I think that pretty succinctly summarizes the issues uh, for Tennessee. They really need an answer at quarterback, be it Harrison Baylor or Keaton Salter, their uh, 2021 quarterback uh, from my neck of the woods in Cedar Hill, Texas. He's, he's a baller. Um, but I think realistically um, for Tennessee to kind of take that next step, the offense is going to have to open. Um, Georgia got rid of Jim Chaney uh, a couple of years ago, or I guess two years ago, largely because the offense needed to modernize a little bit. And Jeremy Pruitt hired his friend and um, Jim Chaney to kind of run that offense. And as efficient as it is as kind of a running unit, that offensive line is beastly. Those running backs are good. Like you have to, as we talked about earlier, you have to have a more modern offense to compete with the best teams in the country. And right now, Tennessee is not capable of doing so, which means they're at best a mid-tier SEC team. They're capable of beating the worst teams in the league consistently. But when it comes to beating a tennis or a Kentucky and on up, I think Tennessee is going to have some trouble. I think that's a that's a strong. I like what you, I like that. Like if your offense, if if you've chosen that to be your identity, like South Carolina has or Tennessee has, maybe or Georgia has on accident. The great you might be competitive in most games, and clearly Tennessee wasn't against Kentucky. But there's there's only so far you're going to get with a, a game manager quarterback, especially one who who makes boneheaded decisions and then, and, and yeah. makes bad throws that's, like you, that's you're the worst only, thing in the world with a great O line, and like a, a great O line and a great running game will only get you so far. And I'm not trying to like, you know, you know, take a, take a blowtorch to, you know, football that, you know, people grew up watching, but that's just, it's just not, it's just not the way it's going to work anymore. Um, all right. One more, one more team feeling worse. I don't even need you to talk about well, it, Chris. But I mean, but, just real quick, we haven't had a national championship champion in the college football playoff era that ran an offense like that. Not even close. Yeah. Like Georgia almost won a national championship, but starting with Ohio State in 2014, which one ran Urban Meyer's power spread. And empirically frank, Urban Meyer's power spread is kind of being phased out a little bit now. Sure a quarterback has. like Sam Ellinger, who maybe five years ago might have been a Heisman winner and considered one of the best quarterbacks in college football isn't a good enough thrower to carry Texas the way we kind of have seen maybe five years ago when JT Barrett was winning a national championship for Ohio state. So I, I just shows how quickly the sports evolved. And if anything, urban Myers offense held Ohio state back the last few years too. Um, they've, they've really seemed to take it to a new level with Ryan day. I don't need you to say anything about it, but UCF blew a 12 point lead to Memphis with six minutes left. And that's the first time Memphis has beaten UCF in a while. I want to move on to your top 10 and then we're going to, we're going to be done one is Clemson, two is Alabama, three is Georgia. This is only teams who have played. Four is Notre Dame, five is A&M, six is Florida, seven is Oklahoma State, eight is Miami, nine is North Carolina, and 10 is BYU. Chris, when I read that back to you, what is what are you thinking? Are you, is it, oh man, after the top three or four, this, this was rough and, and I might have some imposters in the back end of my top 10? Yeah, that top 10 was gross, like first of all. That's what I think of. It was... I, it was very, very difficult to rank. One, two, and three like made made a lot of sense. You kind of slotted them in. Notre Dame, I feel pretty confident in four that they're good enough. Texas A&M onward, I just kind of threw up my hands. Like <laughs> Part of me thinks Florida might be better than Texas A&M, but Texas A&M won head-to-head, so I slotted it that way. Oklahoma State hasn't played anybody yet. They're 3-0, and but they're in the Big 12, so they have to go there. Miami, I think, is a bit fraudulent still. I think that's at best a 7-3, and 8-2 and two team in the ACC. North Carolina, I think, is better than what they showed on Saturday night, but I don't think they're better than 8-2, 7-3 in the ACC. I think BYU's legit, but I just don't think BYU in a head-to-head game against 
the teams ahead of it has enough talent to win consistently. So I slotted them there. Maybe Cincinnati uh, figures into this equation at some point, but same thing with that group of five team versus a power five team consistently. I'm I'm excited for the Big Ten and the Pac-12 to get back in the mix. Yeah, I was going to say, this time next week, you'll have several new teams in your top 10. Ohio State, perhaps Minnesota. So we'll just have to wait and see. All right, Chris Hummer, thank you for joining us today on the College Football Daily. Appreciate our producer, Tiny Levitt, putting this thing together. My name is Trey Scott. We will talk to you on Tuesday with a preview of what's to come in the Big Ten. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.